with tonight's topic, uh, which is thorns, uh, looking at our sinful behavior and sinful attitudes and sinful hearts. Uh, let's bow our heads and pray and ask God for help as we consider this important topic together. Our Father, with the author of Psalm 19, uh, we ask, who can discern their own errors? And how can we keep ourselves from transgression? Your answer in the psalm is clear, Lord. Those who read your words, treasure them, heed their warning, and long for the reward of keeping them. Lord, let all of those be true of us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On Saturday mornings, I coach uh, P3 football. And last week, uh, during one of the matches, some of the kids were very meanly criticizing each other. Two of the boys in quick succession in particular made mistakes. One missed an open goal and one just completely overdid the drag backs and lost possession. And so the harsh whining in the teams began, okay? So I blew the whistle and I huddled everybody in. I pressed pause in the game, brought everybody in. And I'm like, what's with all the moaning? This is training. You're all actually on the same team. Why are you moaning and shouting at each other? Everybody mistake, makes mistakes. And then I thought, I'll show them. Hands up if you've never done anything wrong. Three hands went up. <laughs> as quick as you like. Romans 3 was going through my head. I didn't say it, but it was, there's no one righteous, not even one. Your throats are like open graves. <laughs> it was in there. Didn't come out. Suppressed that thought. But, now, I'm guessing that most of us are not like those angelic, perfect kids. Most of us here would be humble enough to recognize that we're not perfect, and that we do sin, and that we say with David in Psalm 51, oh, for I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me. We feel it deeply. We ache over it. We're frustrated at ourselves over it. Our hands aren't up. They're down. Because for us, our thorns are easily identifiable. Yes or no? Just in your own heads. Yes or no? True or false? Well, we know we sin. The question is why? What produces thorns or sinful behavior in you? What produces, what brings out the worst in you, you might ask? Well, it's not uncommon in answering questions like that to say, it's our circumstances. Oh, if that person just wasn't so annoying, I wouldn't get so mad. Or, oh, the devil made me do it. Oh, my upbringing made me do it. Oh, my stressful situation made me do it. Oh, my hormones made me do it. Listen, there are few things as crucial to our pursuit of change than acknowledging this. You sin. You sin because you choose to sin. You choose to sin because your heart, deep down, chooses to sin. Your heart produces thorns. Mine too. Now, last week, I introduced you to this, the three trees diagram. 
It consists of heat and three trees, the thorn bush, the fruit-bearing tree, and the cross, the cross being the crucial tree. Now, tonight I'm concentrating just on the thorn tree, and I want to explain the three main components to it, the heart, the thorns, and the consequences. First of all, the heart. The heart, if you like, is the CPU of every human being. Every computer is ruled by a central processing unit. It's constantly receiving information, processing information, using then that information to calculate subsequent processes. That's exactly what our hearts do. The Bible teaches that the heart is our control center. And it's not talking about your cardiac muscle pumping blood. It's talking about your soul, your being. Your heart refers to who you are as a person. It's also the source of all behaviors and emotions, the source of all loves and hates, or to put it in real change terms, it's the root cause of our sinful, thorny behavior. Now, to put it in real change terms, well, we did put it in real change terms, to look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. He says the same thing. Ash read this to us earlier, but let's go over it again. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now, in its context, Jesus is helping his followers to identify between false teachers and true teachers, but the very principle remains the same. Out of the overflow of your mouth, your your heart, your mouth speaks out of the overflow of your heart, you act. What's outwardly produced is consistent, you see, with what's inside. Jesus said something similar on a separate occasion. In Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23, Jesus said this, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, Theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils or all these thorns come from inside and defile a person. So, have you ever done that thing where you've said to someone something mean? You've said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. When really what you should be saying is, I'm sorry that I said what I meant. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see what Jesus is saying in both of these examples, whether in discernment between good and false teachers or in understanding what it is that makes a person sinful in the Mark 7 context. Our sinful acts can't be blamed on the devil, our parents, our workloads, our hormones, other people, our circumstances, while things can certainly act as tempters or triggers, they are not causers. The root cause of my or your thorn is my or your sinful heart. So think about it. 
uh, if you're a parent, why did you yell at your kids at some point this week? Uh, was it because they were annoying or because your heart chose to employ anger rather than patient explanation as the most godly response to the heat? Or why did you look at something on the computer um, that you were tempted to look at that you shouldn't have? Was it because your body naturally produced arousing hormones that you could blame? Or was it because your heart chose to give in to rather than stand up to temptation? Accepting blame for our sinful thoughts, words, and deeds is a very hard thing to admit for all of us. Some things we find easier to admit because they're more out in the open, but still, we find it hard to acknowledge our sinful hearts. Well, I mean, one of the main reasons for that is just because we like to think that we're better than we are. But that only serves to show how adept the heart is at the kind of self-deception that we looked at last week. Truly, out of the overflow of your heart, you act. But admission is actually a crucial part of the change process, the sanctification that God is wanting to work in us to make us bit by bit, more and more, into the likeness of Jesus. You see, we will never change, never, if we don't actually tackle the source, if we don't actually acknowledge the sinfulness of our hearts. We'll never change, certainly, if all we try to do is change the habits or the behaviors. It's as pointless as an elastoplast on a broken arm. The good news is, though, the gospel invites us to bring our hearts into the sin-exposing light of God's truth, to see it for what it is, and to do this happily, not just because he, God, exposes sin, but because he, through the gospel, forgives it. So we are invited to come humbly under the shelter and the shade of God's welcoming grace. We don't face the finger-wagging judge when we come in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. We find an open-armed Father. He's inviting. He sees us, just as Ash read to us at the very beginning, he knows everything, the inside, the out. Our sins won't be held against us if we put our trust in Christ. They won't be used to reject us if we put our trust in Christ. The gospel welcomes admission. The gospel invites confession. That's how people change. Isn't that exactly how we change in the moment we believe? When God helps us to see our sin for what it is when you have that <gasps> moment of, I'm a sinner. Actually, it's not just about trying to brush myself up and live a better life. I actually can't do that. At my, in my very being, I'm not righteous, and I can't ever make myself righteous. You have that moment. But then in that moment, you see Christ in all his glory as the one who died on the cross to take away our sins. The one who promised that through faith in him, our sins will not be held against us and who rose again three days later to prove it. 
This is what we come to realize when we admit sin and confess sin and believe the gospel for the first time. And I pray if you're here tonight and you're a guest, if you're not a Christian and someone brought you, have a think about this. This is the best news you could ever hear. Uh, ask the person who brought you. Ask someone at the Connect Corner or someone in the prayer team down here at the front after the service. They'd be happy to talk to you about these things. Ask them this question. Can you tell me more about the gospel, what it is, and how to believe it, and just see what they say? This is the way to new life. This is the only way to change. Are you not fed up with life the way it is? We should encourage this kind of admission. We should encourage this kind of admission all the time in our church family. We should make it really easy for each other to say, I'm really struggling with this sin. But I'm not sure we do. I think we will be horrendously shallow and unloving if we're unwilling to do that as a church family, even in our small group settings. Indeed, we're instructed to do this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. So that's number one. That's the sinful heart. That's the root of our problems, our sins. Number two, the thorns. The thorns are really the bad fruit produced by this bad root. Now, quite often when we think about change, we consider the thorns to be the problem, but they're not. The thorns aren't the ailment, but they are the symptoms, the, the outward presentations of these inner problems. Now, the good thing is, is that symptoms are really useful for actually diagnosing what's going on inside. So when a patient presents A&E with a high fever and sharp piercing pains in their lower abdomen, you're not left to guess what's going on. You're like, oh, it's appendicitis. Treat it. Uh, if you have any of those conditions, uh, please go to a doctor. Don't take uh, my advice for that. The symptoms point to something. See appendicitis. The, the appendix is then targeted for treatment. In a sense, that's what God wants us to do when we identify the symptoms of the sinful hearts. We identify, we diagnose, we do something about the thorns, the sins in our lives. And I wonder if, if, that's, if that's in your mind. Is that what you do? Is that your ambition in becoming more and more like Jesus? Is that what you're thinking about as you read the Bible or as you pray each day? Well, God wants us to be doing this, to be serious about our sin to mortify it, to kill it, or to uproot it like weeds. But sometimes we want to entertain sin because we enjoy it, or leave sin because we're indifferent to it. But sin has consequences for us and for others, and therefore it cannot be left alone. So what thorns do you identify in yourself? What thorns do you identify in yourself? What heart struggles have you diagnosed and prioritized for treatment? If you think, you know, there's this, just the one thing that I'd really like to sort out. I'd really like people's help and prayers for this one particular area in the coming weeks. It would be this and make it a focus. What would that be? Does that kind of question cross your mind? 
What thorns have others pointed out to you? That is often a good place to start. Remember last week, the heart is self-deceived. Sometimes we need each other. We really need each other in order to see our hearts for what they are, our sins for what they are. I wonder if your thorns or your sins, your symptoms are obvious, like those the Apostle Paul mentions in Galatians chapter 5 when he says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. You see any of these obvious sins? Are there obvious symptoms that you can identify in an instant? Or do you see yourself making some of the mistakes that some people in the Bible made? You know, the adultery of David, the lies of Abraham. Yeah, she's my sister. Or the drunkenness of Noah, the hypocrisy of Peter, the argumentativeness of Yodi and Syntyche, the lukewarmness of the church members in Laodicea. Do you see any of these symptoms, these thorns in your own life, in one another's? Maybe those thorns aren't so obvious. As I mentioned, we need help identifying certain sins and help comes from other people. And this is where a growth group or a small group of some kind, this is what a church family is for. Help also comes from knowing the right questions to ask, of course. You know, if symptoms are not so obvious, we can ask certain questions. Questions that act like x-rays. So x-rays enable you to see through a tough exterior to the inner workings of your actions, your words, your feelings, your behaviors. You might x-ray yourself with questions like these. What do I worry about? What do I worry about most? Because our worries often reveal what we love or what we fear. They can diagnose high levels of doubt. They can diagnose high levels of discontentment. All sorts of things can be discovered when we ask questions like that. Or you might ask, where do I go to find rest? Where do I find my... <sighs> do you rely on Netflix? or alcohol, or something other than God to shield you from life's busyness and provide that sense of peace? Where do you find your identity? Are we crushed when someone criticizes us? If life falls apart, when people don't think well of us, maybe we're discovering that we ourselves are an idol. Our identity is meant to be in Christ. Those are really just three types of questions that we could ask. There are tons. The Real Change course has a good couple of pages on this in its studies where you can look at about 25 different things. I read them through this week. I've got quite a lot to work on. We all do. Now, whether our thorns are like symptoms easily spotted or internal conditions invasively discovered, carefully discovered, the truth of the matter is God wants us to go after infections like these 
for our sanctification. Because if we don't, there are, number three, consequences. Things that we reap. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 spell out this very commonly aired principle of we reap what we sow. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So, if we're doing something sinful or respond sinfully to some heat, we'll reap the consequences of that action. Death, in some small measure. Likewise, if we do something godly or respond righteously to some heat, we reap the consequences of that life in some small to large measure. Now, what consequences result from a bad root and from bad fruit? Well, in general terms, there are personal consequences. These sins, if undealt with, have an impact on our relationship with God. They do. There are relational consequences, the impact on our relationship with fellow Christians. And with any sin, there's always collateral damage, even the private ones. And there are missional consequences, the impact on your witness to unbelievers, because in those moments, you're not glorifying God. You're not making much of Him. If we entertain these thorns these sins, and seek no forgiveness, nor to put them to death, we either make the gospel we preach look weak and unworthy of exploration, or God himself look weak and unable to change our situations. There's a lot at stake. God's glory is at stake. But there are not only general consequences to our sins. We not only reap the general things, which are big enough, aren't they? We can also reap specific consequences. For example, dads, if you're constantly angry with your kids, what does Ephesians 6 verse 4 say that you can do? Well, it says you can exasperate your children. It says you can exasperate them. And exasperation can lead them to despair. It can lead them to withdraw. It can lead them to reject anything you say, even the good fruits. There are specific consequences to unforgiveness. It's not just the case that if you choose not to forgive someone that you can just walk away from that and just leave it all on its own. No, it, it cultivates a vice it's not just a morally neutral thing. It conjures anger. It conjures bitterness and unforgiveness. It is searing your conscience in the process. And how insightful Fiona's input was earlier on, pointing to that terrible situation and yet seeing that in the heat that she experienced, the way God was at work to do good through her, in her. Producing not thorns of bitterness and unforgiveness, but fruit 
God's glorifying peace, forgiveness, and prayers for the man's salvation. Do you understand? Well, it is hard to look at this side of the three trees diagram. It's hard for me. I, I, I hope it's hard for you in the sense that you feel it. Sometimes it's not nice to look in the mirror. I mean, in it we see our hearts and our actions for what they are. We're not sinless like my P3 angelic footballers. We're not guiltless like those who blame everyone and everything else except themselves. No, the heart is the CPU. It drives all we do. The thorns are the product of what these hearts desire. And the consequences will be consistent with what the heart chooses. Truly, we reap what we sow. The truth of the matter is the gospel is our only hope. The gospel is our only hope. The grace of God's and the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts is this great relief. The convicting work of the Holy Spirit through his word opened and read, through it opened and preached, through it opened and read among brothers and sisters who do it together. We've only touched on the cross tonight. We've only touched on the gospel tonight, but we're going to major on it next week. So please do come back. For now, I'd like us to close by examining ourselves in the light of God's truth. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What a prayer for God to do his sanctifying work in us. So let's take a few moments in the quietness to consider before God our hearts, our thorns, what we reap, the consequences of our sins. Thank him for changing what he's already changed. Maybe you're not the person you were a year ago. Take to him the things that are left unchanged, the things you know deep down must change. And glory in the gospel of Jesus, our Savior, who in this doctrine of sanctification invites us. Come on. Change is doable. Change is on offer. I died to make it doable. Let's bow our heads, reflect on those things in the next minute or so, and then I'm going to lead us in a prayer through a psalm.